0: Dear listeners, this is not a podcast that exists in the past. It's not a podcast that lives in the future. This is a podcast that is all about this moment here. As we talk to Alistair Beckett King about his new stand-up tour, the Interdimensional ABK, and Jean-Luc Godard's French new wave masterpiece, Alphaville, here on Overdue Rentals.
1: Everybody, to another episode of Overdure Rentals, the show where we talk about films that, for some reason, don't get talked about the way they once did. I'm Matthew Shuckman.
0: And I'm CinemaBlend's Mike Reyes. And oh, my God, Matthew, I believe we're just really hitting on all cylinders right now. It's, it, you know, the engines are warmed up. We're traveling from the outer countries to this weird and fascinating place known as Alphaville with our dear guest, Alistair Beckett-King. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a really really fun conversation. I know I love to just talk up our guests and talk up ourselves, but I this is just a really it, this goes to really interesting places, some really exciting places.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Alistair's a guy who's who's obviously whether you knew it or not or know it or not, he's obviously very knowledgeable in a lot of things, including specifically film, um, and 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 uh, you know. It's history in in, in, a, in a much more kind of pointed way than not to say, you know, plenty of our guests, of course, are you know, when they're when they're filmmakers. But like just to have that kind of, you know, snap to knowledge is, is, is a great person to talk to, let alone the fact that he's a funny man. He's got a lot of great stuff for people to, to see if they haven't yet. I don't know how they haven't. There's no way nobody's seen something he hasn't done. He's, he's nobody hasn't seen something he's done at this point.
0: Yeah, especially if you're listening to this episode, unless you're a huge Alphaville fan, in which case, you know, my my I, I apologize for mislabeling you.
1: Well, look, I mean, Alpha, it was it was it was cho- he 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 chose from the list. He chose because I had Alphaville on the list because, like, as you'll as you'll we'll talk about when we talk to him, you know, I have the kind of connection to it from when I was much younger. Um, and Another Matt Dad story. Yeah, like they're, Dad's they're pretty stories. much. <laughs> Matt Matt and Dad story um i just but, i i love that because it reminds me
0: of how my dad and in some cases my mom would introduce me to certain things and that just those tu- those personal touchstones make i feel like they make the episodes more
1: fun well no i mean look it's just it's just the fact of the matter too it's like that's just how things kind of well yeah entered in my life you know
0: <laughs> that's any it. as almost any budding cinephile where it's like the the parental influences it's that, hey, you want to go see Total Recall or you want to see this? Like, it's that movie that your parents probably wanted to watch. They, they There was just no plan for, for you to be watching something else or it was just like, okay, do I take the kid or do I keep them away from this? <laughs> yeah. And that's how kids watch Robocop at like six.
1: That this is true, but you know what? We'll talk more about it after. Let, we'll get yeah. in here, but- before we get him in here, if you if if you haven't yet, you need to go get your tickets. The tour kicks off this Friday, uh, April 7th in Brighton. He's going to be touring throughout England, uh, Ireland, and Scotland. Um, and it's going to it's gonna end off in June in uh, in Leicester Square. Uh, we'll have a link in the description if you need to buy tickets. But let's get Alistair in here to talk about not only the show and what's going on with him, but Alphaville.
0: Dear friends and listeners, Alistair Beckett-King here on Overdue Rentals at the counter.
1: Well, good afternoon oh, by the way and thank you so much afternoon. for joining us. Hello, nice to meet you. You as well. And I apologize I I feel so weird. I think we should be used to it by now. But like you know I use my outboard camera for this and I'm like I want to look at you but then I want to look down to see your face when you're talking so I feel like <laughs> no it's it's impossible isn't it? Yeah, I if
2: a, I look into the lens sometimes and look down at the thing sometimes. Yeah, it's it's there's no I guess technology will eventually start putting the Either start putting the camera in the screens or do that. Did you see the um, the NVIDIA hack where it, it adjusts your eyes to make it look like they're always looking at the camera? Have no, you seen
1: that? that's kind of that sounds so creepy to me, though. It's
2: very creepy. <laughs> uh, um, so it's for Twitch streamers so they can be looking down and seeing who's giving them money, but always seeming to look at camera. But it like. You don't conversationally never stop looking. Like they need to add a little bit of randomness into it, so that yeah. it glances about a little. But it's just locked on forever, and it's really oh. sinister.
1: That's you know, that's um, that's also awful in, in a way to me, because like, look, like, I'm not trying to talk down about anybody, but like, I never. I mean, I, Twitch streamers are amazing what they are able to do, because my mind couldn't. I couldn't do it, because. You're trying to pay attention to what you're doing, but then you're always glancing over to see, like, to see those things, to see the chat, see what's going on. Yeah, and I'm like, how do you, how do you pay attention to all that? I just, I just don't get it.
2: I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah this, this, yeah, one guy's like a political commentator, and then he's, he's playing like a video game while he's pontificating. <laughs> and it's like, I don't, I mean, I do agree with what you're saying, but I'm not going to watch this. I don't want, <laughs> like, I'm not going to watch you kill goblins and pontificate about political matters because I. I just feel like you should be paying attention to one of those two things. It really irritates me.
1: Well, see, i, I look. I'm. It's not like I'm getting mad at them, but like I am the person who watches. <laughs> even if I'm watching a recording later on, and I'm going like, "Well, you missed something because you weren't looking at the screen," or like, "If you just, you would know that that's the button you have to hit, but you didn't because you were talking <laughs> to <the> chat." <laughs> anyway, that's, I can't that's... do it. I've
2: tried to. I, I uh, way before streaming was a thing, uh, did, did a few videos with a friend trying to play video games and chat at the same time. But I'm, j- I'm just, I'm not good enough at games for that. I'm just too competitive. Oh. So I, I just start playing the game and stop talking. Uh, I cannot do it entertainingly. There's
1: my- hey, Mike.
2: Morning. Hi, Mike. Morning, Alistair. How are you? Not bad. Thank you. How are things? Well, very well.
1: We were just, we were just talking about Twitch streaming and Alistair was telling me, I didn't realize that there's a new program, like this AI program that's trying to make streamers eyes look like they're always looking at the screen yes uh a constant
2: eye contact it provides um and it's oh! quite, it's quite convincing it looks like your eyes but um but I, as, I, as i was just saying to matthew it's uh it's too perfect so the eyes never dart around you know there's no sort of saccades it's just um it's slightly unsettling there's something unheimlich about the whole affair
0: yeah, I, I think I remember seeing that because the the big thing everyone was doing was taking it and applying it to various scenes from films. Ah, so yes. you saw oh, like yes. Sam Neill in Jurassic Park just looking at you, not looking at the dinosaurs.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yes. This is all. This is all very creepy, and it's actually making me cringe mm. to the point where, like, I'm scared to talk about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll just think of what think about what what it would have done if they had this back in the day. I mean, imagine Doctor Strange, or
1: Peter Sellers is always looking at you. Well, let's, let's make, we'll dive into that later. Well, we'll make that happen because we have, there are more prescient things to talk about because Alistair, your tour is soon about to kick off at the end of this week. Um, You know, the interme- interdimensional ABK.
2: That's correct. That me. I,
1: I have to, I have to, what is, what can people expect? Is this all completely brand new material? Is there little things from older, from older uh, sets that you had that are kind of woven in a little bit, or is this all brand new?
2: Well, this is this is uh, in its essence. It's an older show, okay, uh, from before the you know from the before times, from before lockdown. Um, that I I never really did anything with because uh, I didn't have enough of a following to tour, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll make a video. And the, uh, and uh, the, uh, around about the time I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm just going to film this show was um, in like the start of 2020, um, and then lockdown happened, and so yep. it, so it never happened, and um so. I, when I had the opportunity coming out of lockdown, because I'd managed to build up a bit of a following on on Twitter and YouTube, and I got to do a bit of um, a couple of tele programs here in the UK. Um, I thought, well, you know, I, I, what I want to do is I could tour the show that I just did at the Edinburgh Fringe, but I really like to tour this other show that's just sitting in my back pocket and I never really got to show it to many people. Um, and so um, so that's where it started out. Obviously, it's been revised and changed, and uh, any topical references to the politics of uh, the past have been erased. Uh,
0: (laughs) Everything's uh, okay now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Pandemic's over. Politics got straightened out.
2: It's just. We ironed all of that Brexit business out, and now it's smooth sailing. Oh, yeah. So, not that anything, to be honest, nothing was really topical or political in any of my stuff anyway. So, the, the premise of the show is that I i come from a parallel dimension which is just slightly better than the one we all live in and really that is just an excuse for doing observational comedy from a (laughs) a slightly whimsical perspective um and it's so it's um if you if you've seen any of the stuff i do online there's a you know it's quite multimedia um but in essence it is just a stand-up show i think sometimes if people have seen my sort of genre spoof sketches i think they come to shows thinking this is going to be some kind of um like a sketch show or uh not quite knowing, like, how is this going to work in, in the room? And the secret is, I, I am a stand-up comedian and I just do a stand-up comedy show. And it works quite
1: nicely. Well, that's also, I mean, look, that's always the interesting thing specifically about you, I would say. Because, yeah, I mean, look, I remember seeing when you released the um, the every uh, Scandinavian drama uh, crime drama, and that's yes. where I think I first saw, I may have seen you previously or not, but like, that's where I remember seeing you up to the point where like, I realize now that every time I go on to anything, even if there's videos of you that you didn't post, the first comments always like, is that Gunnar Gunnarson? <laughs> yeah,
2: you know? yeah. That so, video um, is, is the, the one that went viral yeah. for me. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if it's viral. It got millions of views, but I don't know if that counts these days. The kids, the kids are getting billions of views probably, but that was a lot for me and uh, you know i've had other videos do well but that one was the one that did uh, unexpectedly and astronomically well and uh, and I, I gained tens of thousands of youtube subscribers in a week um and uh, and off the back of it built you know just a little just a very small little platform to uh, to continue releasing videos and continue making stuff um and, and you know i'm i i'm i'm talking it down because i'm, I'm aware of people who went viral during the mm. During the pandemic, like properly viral and became international superstars off the back of it. And um, not only did that not happen to me, I'm not sure I would have been able to handle it. So I sort of think, well, good for you. Um, I'm I'm glad I'm just doing a a nice little UK tour, and not a world tour. I'm just going to work my way up gradually. Thank you very
0: much. And that's when he had to pay the price of fame. (laughs) (laughs) uh,
1: Go on. No, no, please, Mike. Go ahead.
0: No, I don't know. I was just gonna riff. I well, you, you, said you have an actual thought, whereas I'm sitting here. It's like yes,
1: yes, so, so, so Alistair, uh, the, the, the observational
0: comedy. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I don't, I don't want to take too much away from the from the show because I want I have more questions. But like, what I find interesting too is that because for all your YouTube clips, they're very quick, they're very short. Yeah. But the amount of stuff you pack into some of them, like I think my one of my favorite things in the entire world is. um you know, the guy who's about to die in a movie. And yeah. <laughs> because you have created such a circle in that that is so brilliant that like, it's almost like when it comes to the point where you're re- re-getting back to the point of the son who touches alien objects, it's like, I can't, people take, two hours in a movie and can't do it that cleanly
2: <laughs> um, yeah the listener if they haven't seen that sketch will be baffled by what you're yeah saying. this is true but
1: you can go look it uh, up but yeah <laughs> we love baffling uh, our
2: listeners there's a tendency in internet sketches and I think this is very good a lot a lot of them are sort of riff based I think a lot of them a, a lot of people are sort of actors and improvisers which I'm not and I think a lot of people improvise on camera and then edit their sketch down to the funniest bits and and that means that a lot of internet sketches that are in that premise like you know this is this trope from the movie are Essentially, a series of reiterations of the same joke um, over and over again for thirty seconds to three minutes. And I don't. I'm not going to claim I always manage this, but what I I never wanted. You know, I never thought of myself as a sketch writer, and I never tried doing sketch writing before this. I was writing stand up, and I was writing short films, um, but I was uh, and I was writing sitcom scripts that nobody reads. But I was I was never really doing sketch. I do think. The, um, I'm not going to claim to have invented the punchline here, but I think it's good if the end of the sketch shifts, the, shifts to a different level in some way. So in that sketch about a guy who's about to die, it, we pull back and realise that the whole thing was the vision of another character who had been referenced earlier on, which I think is perhaps the cleverest version of that that I've done. Um, not all this not everything I write manages to do that but I do think it's it's nice for the for the final note to sort of go to 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 be a surprise and to, to bump you into a, a different level rather than just be the funniest of the riffs you thought of although that may be because I can't think of funny enough funny enough riffs I don't know
0: no but just like we hear at over rentals love talking about the process of comedy because we've had so many com- comedy professionals and comedian adjacent people on here oh yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. just examining the the medium is always fun especially because like you said there's I think it's I think it was the American there's an American comedian by the name of Trevor Wallace I think who does a lot of like short form videos for Instagram and different platforms and there was one bit about microwaving fish in the office uh lunchroom that did that same thing where it's just like at the very end it kicks in this last bit and then it ends Yes. And just, yeah. again, it's so hard to do that where it's that sweet spot where, yeah, leave people wanting a little more, but you still have an effective punchline that you can cut it and
2: leave. Yeah. And, and the cut, like, um, it, and this is not my discovery, but the sort of internet humorists have realized that the, the, the cut is in the middle of a sound, in the middle of a word, that the laugh sometimes comes after the cut. And you, you see that in like, I think you should leave. Uh, a lot of that, like on the paper, a lot of the last lines of those sketches are not very funny. The laugh comes on the sort of whatever it is, the twangy slap bass music that comes in and the graphics. In some ways, the laugh is that was it. That was how we ended that sketch. Sometimes, you know, it's not that it ended on a big poof laugh. It ended on, oh, we just ended on that awkward moment or we just yeah. ended on that. Like expression. beautifully abrupt chaos. Yes. And you and and you do you laugh on the transition to the next scene. Not yeah, on, but that's
1: like the, the, that's the one where he's like doing the whole film. prank show in the mall. It's just like I don't, I don't want to be here. And just <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I don't want to do. That. But I, I you, think
2: well, uh, Limmy. I don't know if you. Uh, I don't know if you know Limmy. Um, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I don't know how international uh, Limmy has gone, but like I, I, from uh, a lot of his sketches have a similar vibe, like uh, the 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 now quite memed. Uh, she's turned the winds against us. I don't know if you if you've. If I don't. You're I don't I
1: mean, I I've seen a lot of his stuff, but I don't remember that one specifically. It is
2: it, the the entire sketch I can describe to you is about uh, eleven seconds long. It's <clears throat> it's him I- wearing a, a jacket but no shirt, clearly drunken and unhappy walking through a council estate, presumably in Glasgow, uh, declaring to the world, "She's turned the winds against us. She's turned the winds against us," <laughs> um or "She's turned the children against us." To translate that for yeah. a relationship that might <laughs> not be familiar with the word "winds." Um, and it's just a it's just a perfectly realised moment of tragedy that lasts a few seconds, um, but the uh, but somehow in in context in the show it's hilarious. You know, it, it, it's almost, it's almost sad the first time you watch it, and, and hilarious the second time you watch it. And it, it, and it's hilarious because it just it captures something of the reality. But it's similita- it, it's it's an incredible piece of work. It's very funny and very sad and human at the same time.
1: I mean like talking but you know going back and talking about the idea also of like you saying that you know like you are a stand up it's like you're not really a sketch writer in, in essence but that's the thing I've always noticed specifically about you know and I'm not trying to to make draw lines between you know American comedians and British comedians and that there's this fine line that it always fits in one side or the other but you know with with <laughs> American British comedians,
2: comedians are like where yeah. <laughs> British
1: comedians
2: am I right <laughs>
0: Let's, sure, yeah. let's, let's not miss words my here, gentlemen. My dad was an American Come
2: comedian, and my mom was a British comedian. So, <laughs> no,
1: but like, the idea, of, the idea of the British comedian c- comedy circuit is—it's really—it's not always a one hundred percent about, but it's you are constantly creating these moment shows. You know, for whether you know, go to Edinburgh or Fringe with them you know where it feels like everything is meant to be written in not a sketch capacity but you're you're telling a story more so than just creating a line of jokes and that's it and i'm not saying yeah, that there are other comedians in yes. the world don't do that but that seems to be a, a way of life almost for the for a british comedian
2: yeah considering we we're doing comedy in the same language and there's a lot of uh... A lot of influence back and forth between britain and america like the economics of how comedy is set up over here and over there are totally totally different uh, like yeah. to the to, to the extent of how shows are run like uh, like in england people do not come out and start paying checks in the middle of a show we don't even know what paying checks is nobody uses checks it's 2023 what, what is what is going on so things are different here we have the edinburgh fringe and i think that our, my impression is the reputation we have from americans perhaps truly is that um we're turning over a lot of material we're doing a new show every year however the yes. joke count on those shows is not going to be as high as the guy who is doing his honed or her honed 40 minutes that, that you know that is um you know 15 years in and has absolutely no fat on it um which which because you know when when comedians you know the the when the big boys of american comedy started you know throwing away material and writing new shows there was a lot of a oh oh there is, it's a completely new hour which here in the uk is like well yeah that's yeah, not a they, huge deal but to be fair to write a completely new hour of seinfeld style comedy is is extremely <laughs> difficult and not many people would manage that so you know so fair play to the lad is what i'm saying um, <laughs> yeah. it's actually quite hard work um so yeah so it's a really it's a really different world and we we I you know there I know people who have done like 10 15 Edinburgh fringes that's right, writing 10 hours of comedy even yeah. if even if what you're talking about there is like 20 minutes of really good jokes and then 20 minutes of quite good whimsical jokes and then um 15 minutes of links or or story that's still really that's quite hard work to write and I you know I'm I'm much less experienced than that I've, I've written nothing approaching that I found doing doing like 90 second long sketches on youtube really hard work i tap out as quickly as possible
0: well it's just like that old bit that mitch hedberg had where it's like if someone writes for 30 minutes and tells you they have a solid half hour they're lying to you
2: <laughs> well yeah and uh, uh, mitch hedberg a, a great comedian but uh not a a brilliant joke writer but not a producer of an extensive body yeah. of work i i think I, I think that's fair to say i don't mean that in a bad way yeah <laughs> no it's just it's really hard to write good jokes. Well, it's, it's funny just too. Bring was... everything together. But please come to the tour. Sorry, I forgot. What <laughs> I was to do. But no, but I have managed it on this occasion. I know there's I implied it was jokes, impossible. We swear. But there's good um, jokes. There's definitely more than twenty minutes of really good jokes.
1: Honestly. It's funny though. You been t- talking about the the, the idea of in the American comedy system you're like coming to pay checks in the in the middle of the show because I actually last October I saw James Acaster here in New York. And it was the first time he was in one of the venues where they had, like, the table set up in, like, the picnic style. And oh, yeah. another 15 minutes of the show ended up being talking about that randomly. That probably <clears throat> yeah, were not planned ahead of time.
2: Well, yeah, it's very weird to us. Um, uh, and, I, I mean, I would assume Acaster has some experience in the States now. I, I, I would think he, he toured a bit there. I don't know. Because
1: yeah, I, I, I saw him in 2018, I think. Mm. It was, I think it was 2018. It was definitely before lockdown way but there's before.
2: a real culture shock i think um yeah. from from what i uh, yeah this is this is all me picking things up through osmosis but yeah but but also you know when you um what i think i, I watched the reason i'm talking about uh, seinfeld there is i watched that documentary the comedians um mm. uh, which uh, uh made me uh hate uh, all americans and comedy <laughs> uh, i no longer i, I did not want to hear a joke for a week after that yeah right. um, I thought it was all, <laughs> a very a horrible experience to watch, but it also it made me realise quite how um, the uh, you know the the opportunity to do fives on the really big shows uh, is what a lot of people are working up to. So I, I, the impression I get is that the um, that there's a, a huge swamp of the open mic or the badly paid gig, uh, and and you're you're trying to break out of that. So people might be leaping straight out of that swamp. If they're lucky, to doing a five on one of the big TV shows or, yeah. or getting into a writers' room on a big show, um, and
1: probably, maybe, maybe ahead,
2: I'm maybe I'm wrong there. No, correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Well, no, I, mean, I think I think I mean it definitely exists, but I think it's also now like it used to be definitely when it was Carson like that. That was like you had to be had to be Carson. Oh yeah. And while while that has persisted a little bit, it almost seems now it's like now I'm just looking for the TV development deal. And, yes,
2: perhaps. Yeah, uh, yeah everyone uh, Americans always seem to be looking for their sitcom is the impression i get and or, or um, we, netflix don't, we don't special. have the same yeah or netflix special yeah. just look at sarah uh, cooper course...
0: sarah cooper did one trump impression several times and then got a netflix special
2: that's fantastic good for her yeah
0: that's that's um, like that's the dream now
2: yeah but i think um we don't we didn't have those you know those five minute spots for new and upcoming comedians. it's it's we have a lot of panel shows or we did we're canceling yeah. them all now um Unfortunately, uh, placing yeah. them with nothing. Uh, but it's it's just the, the the ladder is is totally different. And I I've, I I know British comedy writers are envious of, however unpleasant the American uh, writers' room system might be to be in. You know, when you look at the credits of American shows, it's like uh, script assistant, um, left handed associate producer, and, and all of those different <laughs> names mean you're a different type of writer, and you ha- you get a different amount of money. Uh, I I assume. Um, yeah. Whereas in the, the UK, it's all very, very, very vague. And they're like, you're a writer? What does that mean? Oh, okay. Um, well, maybe we you're craft a services, program, but probably not. Yeah, it's sort of like, this is it's not like catering. We don't have the, uh, oh, there's a clear hierarchy. You enter a writer's room, you might, you know, it, it's starting. Now we, you know, we we have got writer's rooms a bit, but it generally British sitcoms written by one or two people who yeah. are
1: bipolar and have a nervous breakdown after two <laughs> series is, and that's the way we like it. Well, talk, talking about that, that idea of those canceling those British, uh, you know, panel shows, like you know, because you you had a lot of mock the week appearances in the the waning in the, in the, waning seasons, almost series.
2: suspiciously <laughs> close to the, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Was, I wasn't in it for twenty years, and then suddenly I was on it three yeah, times, no, and they went nope. No, you can't put that on the telly. And
1: we need to close They it, they exact
2: it off there. Well,
1: that's, look, was well, that's the thing though too is like because again, it's like YouTube is a way of of now breaking out in, worldwide, but a, a lot of it is people watching shows like Mock the Week on YouTube here, you know. And do you did you notice any type of growth because of appearances of st- like stuff like that? It's um, a, a
2: lot of the things sort of came in a relatively short space of time, or at least the sort of the telescopic time of um, lockdown and semi-lockdown gave that impression. The first mock the week I did, there was no audience in the room. Yeah. Um, which was actually uh, a, quite a nice way of start doing your first TV thing, because I thought, well, actually, this is just like a podcast, except that um, people I've been watching on telly for 20 years are here. <laughs> That's the only thing that separates it from just trying to be funny with a, you know, like it's like doing a live stream. It's just a remote zoom audience so it was a little bit of a sort of a baby step towards doing it with um, hundreds of people in the same room uh which was which is easier and harder in different ways you know like a big laugh is great but a small laugh is way worse mm-hmm. so it you know it's swings and roundabouts um i've forgotten the question
1: that's no, just just about the exposure from 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 shows like Mock the Week. Yeah. Oh,
2: so it's it's so it's hard to tease out um which sort of opportunities and which people going um you know on the tube going oh I like your jokes um which of the most people who've uh, picked me up uh, on Mock the Week or who's been uh, following me on Twitter since the bad old days of yeah. uh, one hundred followers and uh, or, or on YouTube. Um, it's nice simply to have a, a, a you know a, a little audience who, if I put something out, will watch it. It's really yeah. nice because I've been doing that for years, but to no one. And so it, <laughs> it makes such a difference when there's people there.
1: But do you have, are there like specific ideas in your head? It's like, I really hope that I kind of get connected to one of those shows or like if I had the time, if Alex Horn reaches out and I want to be on Taskmaster, I'll, I'll, I'll do that because I know I'll get more exposure from it. Or it's again, it's just, oh. it's nice to be there.
2: Of course I, I, yeah i'm i'm not a sort of a five-year plan type you know i know exactly what i'm going to do person um i i don't good enough at planning but of course yes we'd love to do this everyone's always saying you want to get on that taskmaster and it's like the thing is it's the same people every week for an entire series so yeah. it's like just structurally it's the hardest show to get on but the nice thing is if you get on it everybody f- immediately falls in love with you and it's been nice to see acts who have been uh, around for a for a long time and have been very good for a long time but without. Um, necessarily breaking through to the mainstream, do that on Taskmaster, um, and uh, so yes, every, everybody, everybody is lit, is champing at the bit for a chance to be to master those tasks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> before we Before we move over into the the world of of Alphaville, uh, I do have one last question about the tour because I, I noticed that the last two shows are are, are in Leicester Square. That's and right. I'm wondering if that Leicester is Leicester the... Square. <laughs> That's
2: is how that Americans the... pronounce it. You've got to say it with the correct American accent.
1: Wait, you're actually you're really good at accents. You oh, you, you 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 do a really you do a lot of little minimal things to change them each time. You're very good at accents, man.
2: <laughs> well, I, they're heavily edited. the The accents are really
1: dodgy in the rushes, and then I edit it down to uh,
2: to a passable
1: accent every time. But do those two do those two shows kind of signifies like? you know, be prepared to be filmed or is it just going, is this being recorded the whole way? Or we Well, expecting I, haven't,
2: a- I haven't filmed it. I have thought about it. Um, I don't know. I, the tour starts this week. So I sort of, I might, I might wait and see what the vibe of it is. I don't know whether I'll film it. I might, I might film it and just uh, stick it up on YouTube. That might be a nice thing to do. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know, to be honest. But well. I do have, uh, I do have the show that I wrote for the fringe this year in my back pocket. So if it, you know, w- touch wood. If the the promoters who promoted this show want to take me out on tour again, I've got. An, I could. I could roll straight into doing another tour, or I could uh, go to Edinburgh Fringe again. So I've got a few options. So I, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. That's a
1: really vague and rubbish answer. <laughs> Sorry. No. Sorry. It's a truthful answer. That's that's what I like the most of anything. It's, just, it's Very
2: stressful. I hate looking at my own face, so I can only edit myself for up to ninety seconds. So a whole
1: show. It's too long let's de-stress we'll talk about other things because (laughs) as as you know here on overdue rentals we like to talk about films that people kind of just don't talk about as much anymore and uh, you've chosen to talk about uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Alphaville and I gotta ask kind of what what is your what is your relationship with Alphaville?
2: Well this is overdue rentals and the VHS of Alphaville haunted me when I was at university because I knew I ought to watch it and I, I didn't um, so i i'm a huge science fiction fan and uh, uh, you know I, I, after i went to university i went on i went to film school where i finally did see alphaville and uh, in, you know in a little uh, a little cinema and it, and it blew me away and i, I watched it again this week uh, in preparation for the podcast and it did not blow me away so um, well that's that's it's interesting to visit it at different times in my life it, it haunted me because I I love science fiction I love I love imaginary worlds I, you know so I, I was obsessed with like Metropolis and mm-hmm. Delicatessen and Blade Runner which all create uh, uh you know a, a vast and uh, uh, or, or or you know the creative Delicatessen very very small but completely unreal or hyperreal or fu- you know futuristic world um and Alphaville is different to that Ob- its influence on blade runner is, is obvious if you've seen both films uh, especially the the uh, with the original ending of blade runner with that uh with the, the protagonist escaping in the car it's it, there's an obvious parallel there but it's uh it's a science fiction film shot documentary style in in the paris of 1965 i think, mm-hmm. I think well, was at least at least in 65 yeah yeah uh, and um it's 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 a constructed science fiction world out of the you know the brutalist architecture of the, the, the the modern architecture of the time, um, so it's perhaps more like uh, Chris Marker's Leggette, which I think in the UK it was released uh, as a double bill with um, mm-hmm. in *65* or *Primer* um, for a more contemporary film, or maybe *The Endless*, which uh, you know whether these are these are science fiction films because the plot is sci-fi and we're putting together essentially contemporary images to construct uh, a sci-fi narrative without doing the the vast sound stage with uh,
0: yeah. you know incredibly elaborate visuals yeah yeah like they're very grounded but hard science fiction where you look at alpha villain the most that you'll get is moving microphones and and flashing lights because again the yes. architecture does do most of the heavy lifting
2: and all of the objects are simply re you know every every sci-fi prop is just a normal everyday object yeah. that's been, or, or a modern a relatively modern 1965 object has been repurposed uh, you know fans and lights and like you say moving microphones and it's a new it's a french new wave film so what that means is that well basically the most attractive woman you've ever seen is going to fall in love with the man who looks like an old shoe and <laughs>
0: But she'll betray him in some way before everything's
2: <laughs> over. Don't worry. Well, I, I think what I didn't realise so is that it's a, it's a, it's a very strange film. It's called The Strange yeah. Adventure of Lemmy Caution as its subtitle, and it is now still a strange film. It would have been a strange film, I think, to audiences at the time. So Lemmy Caution is the is the main character's name, and that is, I think, the worst name for a protagonist ever.
1: Well, Lemmy um, Caution was was somebody's idea of trying to. He it was he was a, he's a British creation,
2: yes, a, a British writer created meant to be an James Bond, FBI yeah agent. Um, and yeah. So, th- so French audiences would have recognized Lemmy caution, and they would have recognized Eddie Constantine, yeah. Constantine playing him. so it's it's weirdly like getting you know uh, some thirty five year old um art art student getting like Roger Moore to revive James Bond. But <laughs> now it's the future. Uh, and, and and so it's it it must be or, or perhaps more accurately to revive the saint like a lesser known character of his. Um, it it's. Uh, let me caution. Reminds me of. I don't know if you know Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, but there's a there's a a, a spoof uh, pulp noir monologue uh, called Big Shot, um, uh, uh, where the main character is called Bachelor Johnny Cool. And Lemmy Caution is pretty much exactly the same as Bachelor Johnny Cool. What, what's the line? Something like, um, normally I pack a rod. In pyjamas I carry nothing but scars from Normandy Beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so it's funny. It's a funny yeah. film. Uh, it's, it's a pastiche, it's a noir pastiche or an, it, it, it's described as a neo-noir. I think it's more of a pastiche than it is a, a yeah, I did, I did conscious update of noir. Um it's with its you know it's uh over the top ridiculous violence and it's sort of um the, the, like the, i feel like there's a bit of having the, your cake and eating it with the obnoxious sexism of the world that's depicted mm. like the literal objectification of of women in it is is in this is in at once uh an ironic comment on those sorts of paperback novels and you know and uh, the way women are treated in noir films Uh, but also uh, a perfect good excuse to have loads of beautiful women in your film being sort of pushed around and slapped
1: yeah but it's it's one of those things where like i i remember like because when i was younger you know of course i knew godard you know i I, you know if i if anything they saw breathless and that was about it and i remember i was like i don't know i was like 11 12 years old i think and my father and i had got, well, maybe I was 14. We'd really gotten into Lars Van Trier at the time when the kingdom was airing. And we had then seen, uh, well, at the time it was in Tropa because they wouldn't call it Europa here in, in America because they thought people would get confused with the movie Europa, Europa. Ah. And Eddie Constantine's in it. And i like, I just kind of like fell in love with the character in that movie. He's like, well, you should watch this movie Alphaville. Mm. And I remember it's like, yeah, I knew it's Godard. And like, if you're not used to what he does in general... Even, even again, even if you don't like it or don't understand it, like there were those things. I remember, like I remember the scene, seeing the the swimming pool executions. Yeah, <laughs> <and> just <laughs> yes, going which, like, are,
2: which are comical and hor- horrifying yeah, at the exactly. same time. I
1: mean, like the fact that I, I mean, I still don't know. Even we're watching it, it's like I still don't know if they're just punching him or stabbing him after he gets shot th- and in I the think water.
2: Like, I. I th- think if the listener hasn't seen the film i mean good luck um, <laughs> so uh dissenters in 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 the world of uh, in the world of logic um dissenters people who believe in love and and poetry are are put out onto um, like made to walk the plank over swimming pools machine gunned and then stabbed by synchronized swimmers uh, it, and you got to you got to wonder machine guns were obviously not really up to snuff in 1965 because these guys yeah. are shot multiple times by machine guns and are then <laughs> swimming away yeah but Finally, is the the girls with knives who finish them off? Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's, it it the, it's a it's bordering on surreal that part of it. I don't think it, I wouldn't call it a surreal film, but that scene is strange.
1: That's but that's what that's all. Like kind of like no matter what, like I'm just kind of just drawn in. Like I don't know. Like there are two shots in the entire movie that I'll not shot. I mean, that's more than just a shot. But there are two things in the entire movie that I'll always remember. And it's like that. And for some reason, that profile shot of him when he first gets into the telephone booth and the light comes on, there's something about it that's always just stuck with me, and I'll never forget it.
2: The, uh, visually, you, you can see, like, um, I, I think there's a bit of um, Orson is mm. not just Welles, but like the long takes. Now, uh, obviously it's a new wave film, so there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, handheld, and a lot of loose framing, and a lot of long takes. It's much cheaper to shoot in long takes than it is to shoot in multiple setups. But I'm thinking of Touch of Evil, but, uh, because there's uh the the scene in the sort of the flop house or cat house whatever it is 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 reminiscent of a particular scene in touch of evil uh, where a, a guy is a guy ends up dead on a bed yeah uh but but the the frames are not as um it's this isn't awesome world. so you have you haven't got sort of uh, meticulously constructed uh frames which develop in, a, in incredibly complex ways you've got sort of loose, handheld framing a lot of the time as characters move in and out of multiple doors in hotel rooms in a way that I, 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 I believe it's somewhat improvised. I don't know whether they're improvising on camera or whether they're working things out in the space. Um, it's it, it's yeah. The, the, so the framing is simultaneously very complicated and, and very loose like the the famous shot uh, of uh, moving into the lobby of the hotel and then traveling up through the lift in which the operator gets into the the next door lift exactly. is a yeah, sort that's, of a, yeah. a subtly uh, dazzling long take move that makes you go mm, okay all right <laughs> they, they know what they're doing here well,
1: that's one of those things when the first time you see it too you're like well, I see the reflection of the glass. He must be in the one next to it, but you weren't sure at first. You weren't even sure at first if it was maybe a larger elevator that they put a painted glass in for no reason. And then you realize no, they're just they're just in the 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 lift next to it.
2: Yes, which and it's but it's also it's dazzling because um uh this isn't the kind of movie where they have a crane that lets you do that, you know. So in in Hollywood, these sorts of things where the ca- where cameras fly, you know, the, I'm thinking of Touch of Evil, you know, the incredibly long, mm-hmm. complex tracking shot. We don't we don't have those kind of budgets. This is Paris. Uh, the guy's just getting into the next door lift and it's shooting through the glass, um, which is kind of uh, witty. And and it and it is the watching it again. You know, I I, I as I said, I always saw it as as a science fiction film but looking at it again this week and 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 finding it's a film about alienation and i found it distinctly alienating Mm. um you know Mm. so um eddie constantine and anna karina are you know the characters who fall in love which is of course forbidden in alphaville but i don't feel
0: it i don't (laughs) No, he's an extremely inexpressive
2: protagonist you know, like it's not like like Chandler's Marlowe is the is the guy who walks through mean streets, but is not himself mean. You know, Marlowe's a hard nosed character. He's got a lot of rough edges, but he's good. He is a good guy, and I think neo noir is often quite different. Neo noir often says, "What if the good
0: guy was actually bad?" <laughs> uh-huh. wow. Yeah, like there's um, always that obsession with the anti hero, where it's like, yes, he's the guy that came back from Guadalcanal, and he's got those scars, and he but he gets the job done. <laughs> we know the I, good bad guy
2: i now think that we think when we look back at the you know the actual film noir, american film noirs of the the 40s we think that they had anti-heroes a lot and the, and you know and i think that's because we're we're seeing them through the lens of, of modern takes on noir whereas yeah obviously there's a few that you know double indemnity and uh, Bill my gallows high where the protagonist is a criminal or is engaged in a crime um but the detectives in general are actually mostly the good guys. And there is, a, the, you know, the, I think one of the things we get wrong when people sort of do noir is they, they tend to make violence against women a sort of focus of the film as a way of saying, look how gritty this world is. And I think when you look at a film from the 40s, you have to understand that um, when the detective slaps a woman because she's being hysterical or whatever, this isn't the filmmaker, you know, pointing at you through the lens and saying, look how gritty this world is. It's just a commonplace example of violence towards women that the audience at the time and the filmmakers would have understood as commonplace, which is yeah. an appalling thing. But you need to understand that it wasn't put there to make you feel something specifically. It was put there because that is the way that was an accepted way of men treating women who were shouting. Oh, exactly. That time, which, is, which is shocking, but a completely different thing to when some bit of ex- dream violence is put in like sin city or something terrible i really hate sin city uh, it's it's totally different um, I but i can see that that it happening it. in the 40s yeah and then you've got a movie for, like <laughs> <laughs> i have
1: alienated
0: even more people by saying i hate sin city but i i'm,
1: oh, don't, I'm, 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 I'm not i'm not a fan of it either personally so. i'm sure
0: you haven't because i think the the ro- the the blooms off the rose when it comes to uh frank miller At this point, like, (laughs) like you go back to the 80s and read what people were writing about him. And then by time, like the last Dark Knight Returns book came out, it's like, wow. um, So let's talk about Frank Miller and fascism. (laughs) Yeah, I only know the films. I don't I don't know much about his personal descent into. um, Oh, I'm treading water myself. (laughs) I just know that I just remember when that last book came out, people were like really drawing like maybe this guy. Is secretly in love with fascism? I mean, can we talk about it? (laughs)
2: Eventually it'll just be the two of them fighting with their different colored fists meeting and creating
0: some kind of electric glow. But it's funny because that violence that you mentioned, you go back to a movie like Airplane and not only is that movie just deconstructing like the whole thriller on an airplane genre, but then there's mm. that scene where the woman's hysterical, and that's the that's what drew me back to this. You're saying like that's that was the treatment for a woman that was hysterical back then. You've got that whole gag where I don't, mean, where to, I don't a, mean to condone it. There, I I don't no, mean to no 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 portrayal is not condoning. And there's that whole gag where the woman's hysterical, and then there's a line of people with various implements like the rope and the gun and a wrench, and they're all just waiting to take their turn, like knocking this woman around. Like by that point, it sort of became, it became the joke and talking about more modern neo-noir, you know, you go and look at something like Nightmare Alley and mm -hmm. that has a very different portrayal of women than what you would have had contemporarily, especially with Kate Blanchett's character.
2: Well, I'm afraid I haven't seen Nightmare early, but that's that's Del Toro, isn't it? Yes. Very yes. good.
1: I mean, actually I- wasn't sure if you're gonna be talking about the Del Toro version of the original one when you started talking when you started saying that actually. I still
0: need to see the original, but the the I did love that that newer film. And just to your point, Alistair, it's really hard to get Noir. Just uh, some people just really have this. And even it's it's hard to sort of get French New Wave because I'm watching this. This is the first time I've I've watched Godard, first time I've watched Alphaville. And I can see where all of the jokes are coming from, like all like the the sardonic narration, the the weird-looking protagonist and all that stuff where it's like you know, the comedy version of this, but then getting to the reality of it is so much different, but at the same time you can see where the influences come from, if yeah, I haven't taught myself had, in circles. The weird resonance for me watching it now, having, having always associated
2: it you know thinking of it in terms of noir and sci-fi, is um, wild at heart. Because mm. I, I think if I, if I were uh, if I were once again uh, an undergraduate um, or you would say sophomore, um, I I think the the uh, the essay sort of teasing out the similarities between Wild at the Heart and um, Alphaville would be instructive because they have a, they're very different films to watch, but they have a lot in Both of them are adaptations essentially of pulp literature. Um, they're they're uh, full on when it comes to pastiche and extreme violence with a sometimes comic or absurd bent Uh, in the case of alphaville it's it's you know noir and detective literature and science fiction which is being pastiche in the case of wild at heart it's soap opera and a a road movie and Mm. and and, you know and and in both of them we've got we've got um, a a man and a woman in a car who are in love uh, and against the world uh, but it also makes me realize quite how bloodless I find Alphaville to be, because
0: mm. Wild
2: at Heart is so explosively passionate and ridiculously over the top. Um, like, I really, I, I, and and sexual, like, I really, I, 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 I fully believe those two characters want to have sex with each other all the time. <laughs> and they do. Yeah. While I'm, you know, when, as, as uh, Anna Karina, the sort of repressed um, uh, 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 daughter of uh von braun is just able to utter the words i love you very sort of slowly it's 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 very different it's the same thing but different and, and it yeah. really doesn't work in english because the subtitle the words because the words in the english are in yeah. the wrong order so she says je vous aime."
0: yeah yeah
2: and, and i noticed like lost, last but in english it's i love and we're like who does she love the suspense is killing me <laughs> oh it's the person she's speaking to so it's once again the english language has, has ruined cinema
0: oh yeah i like the copy i was watching had like misspelled subtitles and even just looking at like i studied french in high school so i know some of it but it almost felt like oh oh okay so we're we're just kind of like we're going we're we're translating this so people yes. can understand no we're not really going too much for context here i I guess it's I, another
2: layer of the absurdism the one I which it may be the same was is, is very badly translating including OCR errors so uh, alpha 60 uh, became um, alpha 60 became alpha so on a number of occasions <laughs> because uh, the 6 I guess looked like an s and um, and and lots of things like talking about the the destiny of a character when we would we might say sort of fate or life story you know like that's probably the just about the literal translation like i'm sure the french word is like destiny but it's not the word
1: you would use in english for that no well it almost felt like it was like uh they were just going with quebecois french instead of french french
2: (laughs) maybe maybe it was that (laughs) i'm uh, always happy to take an opportunity to make fun of french canadians (laughs)
1: <laughs> that was my, my old roommate in, 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 in one of the film schools I went to was from Montreal and he used to try and teach me stuff and we were watching Buffalo 66. And so from now on, no matter how much, my pronunciation is Buffalo Soissonset. I don't know <laughs> if I'm saying it right at all, at all.
2: <laughs> I think that the... the- I think, obviously, as an English person, I, um, I have a, a, a mixture of respect and uh, resentment towards the French. Uh, but the French Canadians are like, guys, you had a chance to not be French and you you did not take it. And it's, it's simply impossible to respect that.
1: I was, we got to, we're going to have to let you go soon. So I, I have two things I definitely want to mention. No, before. we don't.
0: We're keeping him all day. He's ours now. <laughs>
1: But the one thing I noticed, honestly, most, and, and I don't know why this is what I latched onto, because I guess it was I what I saw AlphaVille when I was much younger. I didn't know a lot of certain things, so I like I latched onto all these things like they were trying, you know, to like kind of perpetuate this idea of AlphaVille of this as this you know, scientific only, mathematical thinking, yeah, you know, no emotion. Like was like an entire string of streets, which was Enrico Fermi Avenue by Heisenberg Lane and Mathematics oh, Square, and I'm like, fantastic, much, yeah, yeah, just much like Lemmy Caution. It's like so kind of hamfisted in a way. It's very
2: on the nose, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and but but actually, I think that's the thing. Watching it uh, and again, yeah, it, as I say, it blew me away when I watched it. You know, the 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 sort of it's not exactly the spectacle of it, but the 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 sort of the visual achievement of the film really yeah. influenced me. Uh, but watching it again what what it does have and i describe it as alienating what it what it captures is the the, the nightmarish dreamlike sense of what it is to to live in alphaville and it's not clear to me whether alphaville is a satire of of capitalism or communism it seem that you know it seems very even handed in terms of what it's or, or indeed fascism although von Braun certainly suggests um nazism um I don't. I don't think it is a pointed and specific satire of a particular economic or political system. It's. It's just when you when you see the people clinging to the walls or you know mumbling to poetry in uh, in um, tenement halls, the idea that just being in this place is driving everyone mad is very effective. And and like you say, it's sort of s- s- swirling imagery and uh, and. Bizarre visual constructions really do. Sorry, there was a horn honk in the background. Don't know if that came out. And that's all the time we have. Um, uh, the, yeah. I really interrupted my flow there, but luckily it came at the exact point that I lost my thread. Um, <laughs> No, it 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 that it, that is a, a really impressive achievement. I think you know it, you you really do feel the sense of this city's uh, a, a obsession with logic and reason, sort of tearing away the humanity of the people who are trapped there.
0: And then all the spies from the outer countries yelling "nerds" when they hear like <laughs> Enrico Fermi
1: Boulevard and and math- yeah, mathematical, including, including Dick Tracy and uh, Flash Gordon. Flash yeah. Gordon gets a
2: nod, yeah. <laughs> But there's something weird about, you know, a guy who has been, uh, you know, t- has played this role seriously in the past, grabbing a dying man on the stairs and saying, what about Dick Tracy? What about Flash Gordon? Are they both dead? There's a scene in, in I don't know if you know, the British sitcom Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it reminds me of, um, there's a, a wonderful episode where the, the protagonists end up stranded on a, a waxwork planet where, um, you know, historical figures are brought to life. Uh, but they've uh, the simulation has, of course, gone haywire and uh, the Nazis are, are taking over. Uh, and uh, off screen, the characters watch from a prison cell. They watch all of the remaining good guys being executed by Nazi soldiers. So so Winnie the Pooh is is, is killed by a Nazi firing squad. And it's all described, you know, he's refusing a blindfold. It's taken really seriously and it's very funny. But but there, it, it reminded me a little bit of that, you know, the, the this sort of uh, a, a bit of sort of bricolage, you know, sort of grabbing things together and, and, and creating something new by
0: just by cramming disparate ideas together. Yeah. It's just kind of weird the more we talk about the fact that, you know, this is, let me caution, a pre-existing character sort of thrown into this absurdism. It's just the closest, well, one of the closest things I can think of being a James Bond fan is never say never again. And just the absurdism of that movie And versus, you know, you look at Connery in the regular Bond movies and it was tougher and and more... There were gadgets, but it wasn't as bad as like Never Say Never Again. Whereas, like this video game that gives you pain.
2: Mm. I'm
0: yeah. afraid I haven't seen that film. I've just lost oh, the room, I'm sure, and I'm sure you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's it's not exactly required viewing, but it's 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 an interesting it's interesting if you're if you're a Bond fan at all, just watching like. Sure. Uh, some odd years after Sean Connery gave up the role, he just kind of teamed up to make the rights even more of a mess.
2: Oh, I see. So this is the 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 sort of unofficial non-canon one. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: This was the yes. when Kevin McClory had his falling out with Ian Fleming and he's like, I'm going to remake Thunderball as many times as possible to fuck with you. <laughs> and then never say never again happened. There was another one, I think uh Warhead 73 was put like there was that there there was that one that they tried to do. The last one I remember is they wanted to get Liam Neeson to play it. And apparently Pierce Brosnan, when he first lost out on the role was like, okay, when he lost out on Living Daylights, he's like, okay, so I'm going to go talk to Kevin McClory and I'm going to try and get him to do Thunderball with me. And then it didn't work Mm -hmm. out, which is probably good for him in the long run. But I didn't like, I just learned that recently. I was like, what the hell?
1: Yeah, the James, the James Bond history for me, I, I don't know any of it. I, I trust Mike for, for all of that. Oh but, wait, wait, I hear I hear
0: something out the out the window. Nerd! No, no. <laughs> I brought it upon myself.
1: Start, since we do have to let you go, I do I leave leave one last thing because I forgot. And then since you mentioned Blade Runner, that is one of the other things you've done that I'm obsessed with. Is Mister Blobby and Blade Runner? Not just because Mister <laughs> Blobby and Blade Runner, but like your your ultimate description of giving him that question. Of, you know, you're walking through the desert. You trip over turtle, and you you know, accidentally knock over celebrity. It's like the. For anybody who doesn't know Mr. Blobby, it's like that is that's that's a description of what Blobby would do, and then <laughs> and then the fact of him freaking out when you say Noel Fielding is just is just amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's probably one for the for the Anglophile uh, Americans or the Anglophile international crowd. Yeah, I do think Blobby, thanks to social media, Blobby has had a, a bit of a revival lately, and and people are discovering. You know, in a weird way, um, Mr. Blobby and Alphaville are are um, mm. come from the same cloth. Because uh, Mr. Blobby was a spoof of a children's character, you know, uh, uh, created for a prank uh, uh, on, a, on Noel Edmonds' TV show in, in the 90s uh, as a sort of a, a, gr- a grotesque caricature of what might be just about convincingly a, a kid's TV show character. <laughs> yeah. Then became a real kid's TV show character um, and House took Party on a life of its own.
1: It? Well, not because of it, I guess, but really, like when people think about it, what do they think they think about? They think yeah. about
2: Blobby. I think Blobby is the uh no Edmonds is the Jean-Luc Godard of Light Entertainment. <laughs> the end. End of the
1: podcast. No Edmonds, too. I said no feeling for sure. Every time I say no, I say fielding. I didn't mean to say that. No Edmonds. Oh, did I say did
2: I say Noel fielding or did no fielding? No, I said
1: I said when I said I said oh. that no, the first thing I said, I said fielding. Just because oh, well, I comes out it comes out of my mouth. I assumed it was accent. Um I, I understood <laughs> it you No know, Edmonds. Alistair, so thank that? you so much for your time.
2: <laughs> thank you.
1: Thank Have you an amazing much. time on the tour. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get to see it on film. And thank you're you always
2: welcome
0: back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they haven't let me leave. I'm still trapped here. Help.
1: We've got them. Yep. We've got them tied to a radiator somewhere. There's some, some seductress. Level three seductress is coming in. Only level 3 to get something out of them. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. Thank, you. thank
2: you. Bye-bye.
1: Alistair, Becca King, everybody. Alistair, thank you so much for your time. It's wonderful to talk to you again. Yes. Like we said everybody we want everybody back, but please come back talk we'll talk about wild at heart oh <laughs> yeah I was in thinking more, that. In more in a more full discussion, not just a, a mention
0: well I was also thinking if I'm not mistaken if uh, I believe the another film he name checked during our show was that Jerry Seinfeld documentary comedian comedian that's yeah. another one I would love to throw on here because I've never seen it but just oh about how that movie just just thinking about that movie in concept is like okay It's a stand-up comedy documentary all about Jerry Seinfeld. And this was like peak Miramax, peak early aughts indie slash documentarian sort of filmmaking is like all of those things were sort of wafting in the air and it made this.
1: And I don't think you get many things like
0: this at
1: this point. The one thing I will say about Comedian is is that the... One part of it that sticks in my mind the most, because it was pre-trial Bill Cosby.
0: Oh. While there
1: were rumors, maybe there was no large talk about it. Yeah. And there's a whole there's there's a whole scene about them, you know, him and Chris Rock sitting in the back of a club, you know, talking about how, you know, even Cosby at this age, he's working on new material and he can write, you know, 30 jokes in 10 minutes, stuff like that. That's the one thing that sticks in my mind about that movie.
0: Ah, so I see it's aged well, and we're not going to have a problem with this at all. I'm, you know, it's Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld, so.
1: But look, I mean, look, on to, on to more. Uh, exciting things, happier yeah, I things. Say, I don't, you know, the thing is, I realize, I think I say the word prescient too much, because I was about to say it. I'm like, let me stop. So that was very thing prescient of you. In, you. Good, good thing you came in with exciting.
0: <laughs> but at the same time, that was very prescient of you
1: nah how prescient of me but yeah no look, alistair is a guy that like i just as, as as we mentioned when i spoke to him like i remember that's the first time i remember seeing him is when i when that youtube the the his 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 uh his uh youtube video of of the every um uh scandinavian crime drama i keep wanting to say danish instead of scandinavian i don't know why Scandinavian uh, no uh, crime drama and you know like it's so well known to so many people but like you know like I don't think you know enough people seen like every single one of those videos he does, and you can go and you can watch them all in a day because he does these amazing things in a in a minute, a minute and a half, you know, and they're all another which I did't mention i I love he's got the um the British version of The Simpsons. oh, and it's very depressing. In in a, in a, it, it reminds me of, like, it, it reminds me of, like, the Elvis Costello Spike era, where Elvis Costello is writing songs about how Margaret Thatcher destroyed Britain. But, and, and so it's the Simpsons version of doing it, and I'm just like, it's funny, but at the same time, it's like, do I laugh? But it's just so good. It's just so good. Oh, I'm gonna need to see that. It's literally, it's literally, it's, it's, because again, it's it's under a minute long, and it's just, it's just Homer March in part <laughs> in the kitchen, and Bart comes in, just says, don't have a cow. Homer makes a comment about how, you know, the availability for owning these things don't exist anymore. And instead of saying, why you little, he goes, you diminutive. And then he actually chokes him to death. And Marge goes, oh, Homer, our son, he's eat your flag. And she just, just has the British flag in front of her. And then it ends. And it's the symptoms. That's See,
0: the, the <laughs> way you just described that. that's exactly the sort of humor that Alistair was talking about where it just ends, like your flag, like that's just a perfect sort of get in, get out, done. Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's one of those things like you have to see also. I mean, like, my description of it is not going to do well. Like, oh you no, have, I'm like,
0: still watching it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like yeah, if you haven't seen it, you just got to watch it. And that's the thing too, because he's got he's got a back. I mean, he the man made a video game too, a video game series actually, I believe. And like you know, like I, I at first I didn't know. It was like, are you doing the animations in your in your videos and the animations? Like, he's got way too much talent, honestly. Screw you, Alistair, for having too much talent.
0: You're never coming back here. Never. <laughs> of course, he's coming back. Of course, I'd love to have him back, but, but that's exactly the type of person you want to talk about a movie like yeah, Alphaville yeah. with. It's because again, it's very absurdist. And even just going back to Alistair mentioning the fact that you know the the, the elevator operator gets into the elevator next to them. There's just this visual language where some of these things, some of the motions, just very inhuman or like very fast editing. Like in the beginning, when the credits first come up, I was wondering if my copy was sped up for some reason, because mm. like the credits are coming like really fast, like de mm. and then you just hear like the noises and everything. But then when that light starts blinking, it's like, okay, this is, this is actually, it's insane, gets paced. But at the beginning, it's like so jarring. And there's just this level of visual and, and auditory absurdism that goes in with all of the dialogue that sets that world up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a film that, like, you know, plenty of people, if they see it, they're not going to understand what's going on. And it, you're not necessarily meant to understand, I guess, in a lot of ways when you come to the French New Wave in, in a certain sense. But, I mean, it is doing things that is trying to say something in a certain way. But visually, it still is, even if it is, you know, like, you, you don't have a, a remastered version or you don't have... Uh, a lot of visuals that are, you know, purposely well even focused at a certain point. Like there's so much of it that is striking, and like look the moving microphones, it's great. I that's a great visual. I love the way it looks, even though it's kind of simple.
0: No, yeah, it's, it's uh, that was something I did notice. It's very effective. It's like it, it it rides the border of oh, this is really like this is kind of silly, but also this is what they were doing on a low budget. And it works because it does feel like uh, Alpha 60 is moving those microphones and is constantly yeah. probing and listening for every sort of crack of sound. And no, it my- really is amazing with what
1: how much they do with how little. That's the other thing, though, about Alpha 60, I have to say, is because like at the beginning of the movie, like i feel like alpha 60 is 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 his handler you know the voice is like telling him what to do and what he's doing and giving him the assignment and like you know like and then i'm like oh wait no alpha's alpha 60 is wait that's technically the antagonist like i I'm a, i wasn't sure you know when i first watching it you know you still kind of get caught up and i'm i'm still confused sometimes if like that is supposed to be the point <laughs> you know it's like even outside in the outer worlds outside alphaville Alpha 60 is leeched away and like, it's like this weird tenant thing where like he's his own, he's his, he's his own puppet master.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that is a really interesting read on that. Just like, are they really escaping in the end? Because Alpha 60, while it's deranged by this logic question, that's supposed to drive it and its inhabitants mad. It's still reaching out. It's not destroyed. They didn't blow it up. It's just, you know, a little worse for the wear because it's trying to figure out a problem that can't, Commit to and and as as uh, Lemmy had said, you know, by the time you figure that out, we'll be brothers.
1: You know, it's funny too. Like I, even though I just rewatched it, does he ever actually go by Lemmy Caution in the movie?
0: Well, Ivan Ivan Johnson is his. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, great name, but that's you know, Lemmy Caution is his name.
1: That's no, just- I, know I know that Johnson. I know that he's double o three.
0: But yeah. um,
1: but does he ever does this movie speak for people who don't know? Does like if the is the only connection they have with the idea of a, a character named Lemmy Caution? Does he ever say um? Does he ever go by Lemmy Caution
0: in the movie? I can't remember. He, I think he acknowledges that it's. His, I thought he acknowledged that it was his name at one point.
1: I can't. That's the thing. I even though I just rewatched yeah. it, I can't. I can't remember because I started. I started now, as I'm rewatching, I started like you know, focusing on certain points that I kind of just like forgot to pay attention to that.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's, I mean, that's what happens with, you know, whether you watch a movie once or 15 times, there's always those little details that you sort of start putting together and start loop- looping into each other yeah. when you're, you're on like a subsequent watch. Like, again, to- that-
1: Again. To- yeah, talking about those, yeah. We're talking about like the heavy-handed kind of references, like forgetting that he, Professor Van Braun also went by, he used to be Professor Nosferatu. It's like stuff like that. Just like you hear it, and you're just like, "All right, now I got to pay attention to this." <laughs> that man doesn't exist anymore.
0: What? When did he ever exist?
1: <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. I apologize, Mike. What were you saying? No, well, you didn't cut me off. I oh, didn't. Yeah, no, I thought before I before, before I got into the Professor Nosferatu talk, I thought maybe I cut you off.
0: No, I don't think so. Even if you did, I kind of just—I may have just kind of forgotten what I was going to say. I don't think <laughs> big of the thing. But again, is- it's just pre-programmed thoughts versus riffing on this show.
1: But that is the thing about it, because when when my father first said, you know, like, oh, you don't know, because Europa slash Centropa is where I got introduced to Eddie Constantine, at least in my own head, or recognizing that I've seen him, maybe seen him somewhere else. Because that man also has had the strangest career in the entire world. Um, You know, something I didn't know about him, because I knew he he kind of was an expatriate. I didn't know he lived most of the time in France at at one point, then moving to Germany because he married... Uh, a woman who was German, but he originally wanted to be a singer. And he apparently helped translate most of Edith Piaf's uh, English translations for Livy and Rose. For oh wow, yeah, because he was a he started off as a singer, and what happened was he 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 was born in New York, mo- wanted to become a singer, moved to France, and and it failed. So he came back to, to New York and I think he had some dealings with, with like people like Sinatra too, when he came back to the U S but then he decided that didn't work. went back to France and that's when he became an actor.
0: That is a wild career path. And then just looking at his Wikipedia here, seeing him pop up in things like the long, good Friday.
1: Yeah. The man's got, the man's got roles randomly here and there. Cause mainly, mainly he was, he worked in French film while he was living in France and then moved over to Germany and started doing stuff there. But um his role in in in, in uh, Europa slash Entropa is what was what kind of introduced me to him because the idea is, is that like it looks like in in if you've never seen Europa slash Entropa, in his scenes he plays like an American general, and it makes it seems like his somebody else is overdubbing his voice, but they're not, and so like I would just walk around the house going like Max, you gotta sign the contract now, and like just like. Imitating him from that movie, and which is why yeah. my father's like, if you love him so much, watch Alphaville.
0: <laughs> I gotta get this kid new lines. Here, watch
1: this. Dad, <laughs> I, I don't speak French, I, I just make up sound.
0: Papa, je
1: suis très fatigué. zéro fromage.
0: Papa, c'est très fatigué.
1: A lot of a lot of a lot of gibberish uh, added on with saying cheese at the end of it.
0: Yeah. Well, it just reminds me of that Dexter's Lab episode where that's the only thing he can say is like cheese omelet. Omelette de fromage. I've and never like,
1: I've never seen the Dexter's Laboratory I don't, it, was, it was after uh, my time, I would say. I didn't realize though that he did another Lemmy call I mean he's done a lot of Lemmy the whole idea is that he was like to Sean Connery to James Bond is is, is Eddie Constantine to Lemmy Caution. He Exactly. But I didn't realize he teamed back up with the Godard to do another one in the nineties as Lemmy. Oh, I thought that was a different like germ. Oh, I don't know if he did it with. No, it, it's oh. called Germany. It's called Germany Year ninety nine zero, but it was made by Jean Luc Godard. Oh, yeah, and I well, I never realized that they did another one because I mean, it's also it's not a full length feature film. I never even knew it existed until I'm just looking at it now. To be honest with you,
0: well, also what kind of sucked like I read it in the the research for this was that he was so associated with that role, and they did not care about. Getting Lemmy Caution correct, that they 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 cared so little that he basically alienated the producers and was like not brought back to play Lemmy again until the eighties. Like, yeah, it was I mean, it was like the idea is cut. like
1: it's, it's 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 a name recognition in a lot of ways because people in oh, France yeah. knew Lemmy Caution. It's just like I'm not I want to make a movie, and I and, and, and not saying that he didn't want the character to be Lemmy Caution that that was the whole idea, but it's more about like if we do it this way, it'll it'll it'll. Kind of create more of a of a buzz about it.
0: Well, that's why the subtitle makes so much sense. It's like the strange case of let me caution. It's like, it, I mean, it, it sort of borders on Patrick McGuhan territory, where it's like mm-hmm. Secret Agent was theorized to be like the influence for The Prisoner, and it's him playing his character from Secret Agent as or Danger Man as a. I think that was the the English title for the show, but he was that there was like this pre existing character. I don't remember. And then the whole theory is like, oh, that character wound
1: up in the prisoner. Yeah, prisoner man. That's a trip too. That's something I mean- one of those things that it's like you know you can go back to and like because my you know, my father was one of those people. It's like this is the most brilliant thing at the time and and yeah you go back and you can and I understand what they're trying to do and what's saying, but like some of the stuff is just so ridiculous. Oh yeah, so ridiculous. I mean, if,
0: if if you have Harlan Ellison introducing a marathon
1: on your early sci fi channel, <laughs>
0: then you know it's, a, if you have him introducing your marathon,
1: then you know it's, it's, it's out there. I have to go look it up again. What was the name of, what was the name of the ball that kept him from escaping? Oh, I don't know. I've never, I've never, I
0: watched The Prisoner, a co- I watched a couple of the episodes, oh. but that was like when I was a kid. And again, it was that marathon where they had, har- it was early sci fi channel. And that was like, that was my rel- that channel was one of my that was basically one of my religions that I would watch that channel so much as a kid.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna sp- send you a clip because it's Rover's thing I'm looking at. It's basically the way to keep them from escaping. If they yeah. got to like a certain boundary, there's just this big bouncy white ball just like crush them. So yeah, I think not, I remember that. It's so ridiculous. It's, just, it's like just seeing it as just like what is what is happening? It's like it's like it's the, it's it's also like the idea of like Bell Lugosi, in you know, when they recreate Bell Lugosi and Ed Wood, uh, having like they don't have the, the the motor for the octopus, so he's got to flail the arms around himself to make it look like it's alive. Yeah, it's one of those things. That's Ed Wood. That's, I mean, I, I, I'm i not, a, I, when I was a kid, I used to love Tim Burton. I, I never understood after a while, it's just like I didn't really care. But his yeah. Ed Wood is, is the overdue rental of Tim Burton that we need to do. Or what was that other one? Big Eyes. Big Eyes wasn't that good. I, I did I did I did a press uh, conference with Big Eyes. I don't know. I actually no I interviewed well, Danny Houston I did a one-on-one with Danny Houston for Big Eyes. Oh uh, are you thinking about Big Fish maybe? No,
0: I was thinking Big Eyes, the the Christoph Waltz Amy Adams one. Yeah. Um, Big the- Fish, although Big Fish did come to mind and that's That's probably another like borderline one. Like, I'd I'd say Burton is borderline when it comes to that because I think Ed Ed Wood's the one to get
1: big fishes. Because, yeah, big fishes is like that's the one that like the more modern Tim Burton fans are obsessed with. They love that they're all about that movie, but um, yeah,
0: after a while, the Tim Burton thing just kind of got
1: yeah, I think. But Ed Wood, Ed Wood, I'm still, I'd still, I'd still go with. Um, because again, I don't, you know, I, I will die by this. That the greatest biopic ever made is Malcolm X, and I don't think it could be beaten. And I don't really care about biopics, but Ed Wood is a biopic that uh, that I'll stand behind.
0: Oh yeah, that that's another interesting subject to sort of bring up, just because we it it almost feels like I'm 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 wondering if the biopic bubble's going to burst again because if we went and saw Air the other night, and there yeah. was like almost all of the trailers were other biopics, like oh the george foreman movie that has this ridiculously long title like big george foreman dot 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 or whatever else at the end and then spinning gold which is about casablanca records and then yeah and then Sweetwater, and it was like this whole block of there was almost all the trailers were biopics until towards the end when it was like other fictional movies it's like ah yeah but what was really interesting was i saw air and tetris within a day of each other. I saw
1: the, I I did I did Tetris. I I did I had the the link sent to me so I can review it. And then the, the difference like, probably the next week day. is when I went to see Air, yeah.
0: Yeah, the difference is like night and day. Where it's like Air is very meat and potatoes s- stereotypical like a lot of people call it a dad movie. It is a dad movie, but it's it's not a bad thing. It's just it is a very <clears throat> traditional biopic versus Tetris which
1: was straight Tetris. Energy and just—is Air really a biopic? Either of them are biopics, really? They're—I mean—they're just—they're—they're they're more just, you know, <laughs> moments in history being being recreated. I don't know if I consider either of them a biopic.
0: Well, because it's really focused. It, it, well, it does focus on those moments. It's also following the people that made them happen.
1: Well, that's that's my that's my that's my issue with Tetris too. Is like I thought I thought it should have been told from the perspective of the game designer, honestly. Uh, I'm not going to go into a whole big thing. I, I I didn't dislike Tetris, but I had a few issues with Tetris.
0: I would enjoy um, um, I would enjoy another film that dug into uh, Alexei Pechenkov's story. Like I just I'm I'm such a huge Tetris fan to begin with, and I was glad that they did the story that they did because that is like if you're going to breach the subject of Tetris, that's probably the best introductory story. Well, like my, I would my... love to see them go into Alexi struggle more.
1: I, I don't care. I don't ahead. care if you have to. I don't care if you have to do the whole thing of making things a little more exciting to make them more like you know Hollywood centric, if you want to say, to draw people in and stuff like that. But the thing about the Tetris is that I first learned kind of fully about the whole story through the you know the YouTuber, the gaming historian, and he oh, did an yeah. hour long episode years ago about the, the whole story. And while the pieces in general are correct. You know, the real story, the way it plays out is, is even though it's more boring, in essence, it's actually a lot more interesting to me. And that's why doing it from Alexei's kind of point of view, I thought would have been more important, especially since, again, I know they mention it a little bit. And, and Hank in real life is basically a mensch. But yeah. the idea that Alexei made no money off of Tetris up until 1996, when they formed the Tetris company yeah it's insane to me even even because he had been in the states at that point for i think four years or some of like that i don't know when he became officially a citizen how many years before it, and the the company was 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 officially formed and, and when he was a citizen but um i just think i just think his version of the story is is not necessarily more interesting because i think you could still do the whole deal with elorg in there but um it, it, it would have made for a more poignant story to me mm. but we're getting way off topic now because now's when everybody should go, get their tickets to see Alistair for the International ABK, go cross Ville off your overdue rentals list, come back, let us know what you think. But of course, when people need to come back, let us know what they think, they need to know where to find us, right? So Mike, oh. where can people find us?
0: I mean, when we're not spending our time in Mathematics Plaza or you know, just loitering on Enrico Fermi Boulevard. Uh, you can find us on our social media accounts uh, while these various platforms still exist: uh, TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rental Show, Twitter at Rentals Overdue, Facebook at Overdue Rentals, and of course, if you want to email us, love letters, uh, posits on life, and I don't know if you, if you want to tell us how what differentiates a level two from a level three seductress, you can email us all those fine details in our email box. Over your rentals at gmail.com but dear listeners that is not the end of your involvement with this series because we like to think we're one big family here at the very least we're friends that like to trade titles over the counter you bring back Alphaville we'll give you whatever the next movie is uh we're going on 70 some odd episodes here of rich deep content that is sometimes philosophical and sometimes adversarial uh not too adversarial though I mean we're we're good friends here Matt and I And if you love that camaraderie, you can find us wherever you ethically source your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Audible, just anywhere. I mean, you could probably throw out a podcast platform and chances are we're there because Anchor does a really good job of putting us into the world.
1: Well, we should say, and I apologize to cut off my, because Anchor is now podcast at Spotify.com.
0: Oh, interesting. I did not know that change, but uh, we'll just have to, keep that in mind for the next couple episodes or however long. Yeah. I'm going to have to nail that in. Anyway, final, final ask. If you are looking for our shows as you absolutely should be again, 70 some odd episodes of pure undiluted joy. They're going to be on platforms that usually let you rate review and subscribe our show. And we we'll we very much like for you to do that because we'd like to know how to keep the overdue rentals counter open? What sort of shows you want to hear? And just generally, we like to know that someone's on the other end of this vast and indifferent, cold space that is known as the internet. Uh, and with that, we're just going to send you off with a fond, forlorn, bye bye.